Let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians, the most Christ-centric epistle uh, in the New Testament, and so we are operating under a title of the series, Give Me Jesus. And we um, come to verse 16 this morning, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, and Paul writes by the Spirit, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And all wisdom, teaching, and, ad- and admonishing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we have so many influences in our life, not only without, not only the culture and the world around us, but so many influences from our own flesh, from within our own hearts that have operated mightily upon us this week. And Lord, now we surrender to you and the work of your Holy Spirit and ask that you would use this passage this morning to conform us into the image of Christ that um, it would be the, the conforming influence within our lives. And we pray, knowing as we turn to your word, that we never turn to it alone, but always with you, always with the author. And so we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open it up to us and teach us, not only instruct us in our minds, but uh, help us to absorb it in the light of our personal relationship with you. And we ask for this work of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The Apostle Paul, at this particular point in his letter to the church at Colossae, has corrected and he has dispatched the false teaching uh, of the false teachers in the city of Colossae. And what he's now doing in earnest in this part of the book of Colossians is uh, he is teaching Christians now where to find uh, true spiritual maturity and true spiritual depth. The false teachers had come in and tried to convince uh, the Christians there in the church that uh, Christianity and Christ somehow needed their help and their take on things in order to become, uh, experience a deep uh, Christian spirit spiritual life, and Paul has said they they have nothing to offer to what's been provided to us in Christ. And now he begins to talk about uh, what it is where we can find true spiritual depth in in our lives and maturity. And uh, he continues all of that here in in, uh, in, uh, verse 16 by addressing the place that the Word of God has and the worship of God has in the life of a Christian in bringing us to spiritual depth and maturity in our relationship with the Lord. We won't look at the entire verse today. We'll just look at the first half of it. Uh, Again, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And when the Apostle Paul declares, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he really, really is saying a mouthful, including the fact that informing us that no Christian can ever hope to attain to any semblance of spiritual maturity or depth in their personal relationship uh, with God 
uh, apart from not only knowing the Word of God, uh, the Word of Christ, which is the Bible, the volume of the book testifies of Him, but not only knowing the Word of God, but allowing it to dwell within us richly. I think it's good to begin by just taking a few moments uh, acknowledging what the Bible uh, uh, provides to every Christian and uniquely provides to us that nothing else in the entire world provides these same things to us in our walk with God. And uh, pricelessly, the Word of God reveals to us what God is like. Uh, Without it, it would just be a guessing game, or we would be like the rest of the world formulating our own gods based upon our own opinions. Now, the creation of the heavens and the earth, it tells us a couple things about God, even if we didn't have a Bible. It would teach us that He's powerful and the ability to produce the heavens and the earth. It would also, the design behind the heavens and the earth would also speak to us of his wisdom. But we would be at a loss beyond that, beyond knowing he is powerful and he is wise. It is the Bible that then teaches us about his nature, about his heart, the fact that he is holy, the fact that he is loving. The Word of God also provides us with a peerless and unrivaled uh, truth, uh, an unfailing truth, a truth without which we would be completely vulnerable uh, to every lie in the world, every lie of the world and the flesh and the devil. Jesus spoke on the night before his crucifixion as he prayed to the Father in John chapter 17. In verse 17, he said, sanctify them by your truth. And then he declared, your word is truth. And it is. The commandments of the Word of God reveal God's specific will for our lives in hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of areas in our life, different areas in our life. And no Christian can ever hope to know or to experience uh, walking in God's will in our lives apart from a knowledge of the Word of God. The Word of God feeds us spiritually. It feeds the inner man, the spiritual man. We all know what it is to have an appetite for the physical body. But when we're born again by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us and he produces a spiritual man within us, a spiritual man who works very hard within us as well as we deal with temptations and all kinds of things in life. And and there's a spiritual side of our life that needs to be fed as well. And the Word of God uh, feeds that inner man. Jesus declared it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The Word of God sanctifies our lives. God uses the Bible to make us holy, to keep us holy, to keep us on the right path in life. Again, when Jesus prayed on the night before his crucifixion, John 17, 17, he said to the Father, sanctify them by your truth. The truth has a sanctifying element within our lives. And the Word of God... uh, 
when it comes into our lives, it brings a living, powerful dynamic uh, into our lives. And uh, uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews put it this way, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God washes us. The Word of God uh, cleanses us. Paul spoke of the Word of God in the context of uh, describing marriage and and he declared of it with the washing of water by the Word. The Word of God provides us with an invincible weapon in the face of Satan's temptations. You might remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil at the very beginning of his public ministry, the devil came against him with three great temptations. And uh, Jesus took and responded to each one of those temptations with, it is written, it is written, it is written. And he quoted three times, from different passages within the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And the devil having no answer or no power in the face of the Word of God had to kind of accept his uh, defeat there and withdraw. In a similar vein, the Word of God is the invincible sword of the Spirit, not only in the face of temptation, but in the face of uh, spiritual warfare. Paul describes this in a Ephesians chapter 6, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is profitable in our lives in every which way that we could ever endeavor to think about. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, Paul wrote to Timothy, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. The Word of God tells us what is right. It tells us what is wrong. It tells us how to get right. It tells us how to stay right. And no Christian can ever hope to become mature or properly equipped for the, to live the spiritual life without the Word of God. It provides us with an unending supply of safe themes and safe realities for meditation. It's a safe place for us to park our minds in this world, to harbor our minds in this world. A place for us to put our minds into it and set our minds completely free without any restriction that any harm will be done or that we'll be exposed to anything that is destructive. And having this kind of a pure, holy place to park a mind in the wickedness of this world is valuable to everyone, but especially valuable to those of you who have minds that never shut off 
or those of you who have minds that are voracious in their appetite to learn. And wonderful to realize that that kind of a mind, which is a gift from God, is, uh, is, has a safe place to go in the face, in, uh, in, in the world. And on and on and on we could go. But I just mentioned these to just get us as Christians and myself supremely to just stop and think about what would be instantaneously removed from our lives if we did not have the Word of God as Christians, or just as effectively true, uh, what would become true of our lives if we ignore it as Christians and give it no real place in our lives. I think that when we read any of the corrective epistles, and Colossians is one of them, that it would be very, very easy uh, to uh, fault these Christians in the church at Colossae for the folly of following after all of these false doctrines and all of these false teachers that were saying all of these things as a part of their quest for spiritual depth and maturity. But I look at them and I think, but at least they had a desire for spiritual depth. At least they had a desire for spiritual maturity. And I would contend that a misguided desire for spiritual depth and maturity, a misguided desire for greatness in the kingdom of God is much easier to rectify and correct than the absence of a desire for spiritual depth and maturity and for greatness in the kingdom of God in a Christian's life. I'd like you to notice that the apostle calls upon each of us as Christians to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It is to dwell in us as Christians. And that word dwell in the original language is a beautiful word. It means to settle down and make itself at home. And Paul says, I want the Word of God to settle down and make itself at home in your life. And that dwelling, that settling down and making yourself at home, it produces all kinds of pictures in our minds. And, uh, and I have my own picture. And my picture of this dwelling, someone coming into a home and being welcomed and settling down and making themselves uh, at home in that home, I think of a, a great, cold, uh, wintry, rainy uh, night in England. And you, here you have maybe this beautiful estate, and there you are in the library, and a great fire is burning there in the, in the fireplace. And there you are uh, seated with someone else, and a cup of tea or a cup of coffee within your hand. And that's the abiding, uh, just relaxed and settled in, uh, into uh, a, a, a situation. And the Word of God, Paul says, is to have that very kind of place in each of our lives as Christians. It is to be deeply settled within our lives. It is to be at home uh, within our lives in that kind uh, of a way. 
Paul is saying that the Word is not to be an occasional guest in our lives, not to be uh, there only for short stays, but the presence of the Word is to be constant and it's to be settled. It is our relationship with the Word isn't to be something where we have nothing in common with it. We're uncomfortable with the Word of God. We have nothing to say to it, and we feel like it has nothing to say to us, like someone who would be a stranger in that same setting in that library as opposed to someone who has come in to abide. And to allow the word of, of, of Christ to abide in us is to feel comfortable and, and free to act, uh, allow that word a comfortable and free access into every part of our life. It is not to abide in a mere segment of my life or 50% of my life or to feel free and comfortable in only 70% of my life, but in the entire of the life of my life to go from room to room from bedroom to closet to living room to kitchen to attic to basement to every part of the house every part of the life and be completely comfortable and settled and undisturbed in any way in terms of its standard uh, in every part uh, of our uh, lives there's that famous booklet my heart christ's home and it speaks to this very thing only instead of talking about the word of god it talks about jesus himself having access to every part of our lives and it's the same truth that paul is laying out here that the word of god is to be able to be free to access our lives not just my sunday life not just my uh, home life or my marriage or this but not my professional life or not my hobbies or not my television or my entertainment or whatever it might be, but it is to settle down and make itself home, be able to in the entirety of our lives, and we are to give it that kind uh, of a place. You notice that Paul isn't content to stop there. He then gives us the degree to which the Word of God is to dwell in us as Christians. He said it is to dwell in us richly, and the word richly means abundantly. It means extremely. It means extravagantly. And, and that is, again, it should reach into every part of our lives. It should dominate every part of our lives. All of our thinking, all of our doing, all of our decision-making, all of our speaking, all of our uh, motivation. And the Word of God, Paul is saying, is to be the single greatest influence in our lives as Christians. And I know when I say that, that people can look at me and say, he's from Mars. Or say, that's the kind of thing pastors say, but nobody takes it seriously in the United States of America. But the Apostle Paul takes it seriously. He, he says it unflinchingly. What he's describing here is the Bible becoming the single greatest influence in a Christian's life. 
And we can look at that and say, that is radical. That is crazy. Nobody is going to give the Word of God that kind of time or preeminence within their life. We've got 87,000 channels on the TV, and we've got phones and devices and iPads and computers, and we're rushed and we're crazy in the pace of life in the Western world. And yet, yet he says it. He doesn't say, let the Word of God dwell in you richly until the year 2000, and then you're off the hook related to this. Then I can see, all right, there's all of the excuses of the culture and where you live and the busyness of your life, and so you don't need to allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly, but he doesn't do that. And because the Christianity in the United States gets dumbed down and the bar gets so lowered, this is why passages like this in the Bible are so important for us to recognize the gap between what even we are willing to accept in a Christian life and the Christian life that is described within uh, the Bible. The Bible is to be the most influential book, influential anything in the life of uh, the child of God. It isn't to have a small presence in our life, but it is, as Paul says, using the word richly, it is to impact our lives massively, largely, uh, liberally. And so we, as we read his exhortation here, the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we give the Word of God this kind of a place in our lives? Well, let me give you a number of things, of things just to kind of prime the pump within our hearts and our minds. And first of all, uh, the Word of God dwells in us richly uh, simply by reading it. And the more that we read it, uh, the better. And preferably reading a section of Scripture each day at the start of the day in what is known as a devotional life and the life uh, of, of a Christian. And so you have all of these reading schedules that are available uh, online, available anywhere, really. In the back of most study Bibles, you'll find them easy to get a hold of. And they assist us as Christians in reading through the entire Bible in the course of a year. And then I always like uh, the reading guides that and I've got them on my iPad with various versions of the Bible, but the, the, the reading gives a passage of the Old Testament, a passage of the New Testament, then something from the Psalms, and then something from the book of Proverbs. So I've got this broad cross-section of the Word of God being sown into my life in order to begin the day. And just like we need that breakfast and that whatever to start the day to fuel us physically for what's coming, the Word of God prepares us spiritually for all that we're going to run into now in, in the course uh, of, of the day. And the, the reading of the Word of God shouldn't merely be just reading it, but I would encourage us uh, for it to be a prayerful reading of the Scripture. And what I mean by that is this. 
is that when we open up the Bible to just simply uh, lift a short prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, this book would be a completely closed book to me apart from your Holy Spirit, but your Holy Spirit wrote this book, and I want you to speak to me from your word today. I don't want to just read it. I want you to speak to me from it, so anything that's on your heart that you want to speak to me from your word today, I ask that you would do that. And what happens then is that when we begin to read the Word, we bring an expectation to the reading of the Word that wouldn't otherwise be present. We're expecting that He's going to speak to us, that He's a living God. It's a living book. He wants to communicate to us. It is the supreme means by which He communicates uh, uh, to us. And our devotional lives, as wonderful as devotionals are, should never become supremely uh, centered upon devotional books as opposed to uh, the Word of God. I love devotionals. I have so many devotionals that I've read since 1980 when I become a Christian. And the ones that I like most, I go through over and over and over again. I'm not putting devotionals uh, down in any way, but no devotional is the Word of God. And what I want to warn against is the idea that can sometimes happen in a Christian's life, especially after we've walked with the Lord for a while. Oh, I know everything in the Bible. I've heard all of that in the Bible. And, and then pretty soon what we do is there's no longer any more Bible reading. It's just I read this little devotion to start the day. The devotion is wonderful, but it, it, uh, the promises that are associated with the Word of God are not associated uh, with a... Uh, a, a devotional. I think it's also important that uh, our daily reading should not be limited to an annual schedule of reading through the scriptures or however we make our way through the scriptures. And, uh, and so often we think to, to ourselves as Christians, well, I'm, I am in the Word. And I, I have a devotional life that's been established in my life. This is how I start the day and, and all of this. And so that's the only place really for, uh, that, that's the pinnacle of uh, the, the uh, Word of God and, and its part in, in a Christian's life. But uh, it, it shouldn't just be limited to that. There are going to be times in every one of our lives as Christians when there are trials that are going to arise, suffering is going to uh, arise, spiritual warfare is going to arise, temptation is going to arise, when that devotional reading in the morning will not be enough to get us through what we find ourselves in the middle of. And these great trials and difficulties in life uh, will begin to be so strong that they will become the dominant influence in our lives. And what we will need then to turn that back will be to read large sections of of the Word on top of a devotional life, reading entire uh, books in a sitting, entire chapters uh, in, uh, in a uh, sitting all uh, at once. I think that when we're in trials or we're in, in need of 
of uh, these seasons in life where maybe we need greater washing in, in the face of temptation, or just seasons where I just really need to be encouraged. I'm so discouraged. Isn't 2020 a discouragement? Uh, and what's coming this week? You know, so, I mean, but, but beyond what's happening in the world, in our own lives, and so, as we face trials, we should read entire books at a time, like First Peter, Second Peter. They're written for Christians in trial. The book of James, uh, reading the book of, of Job. So many of the Psalms are written uh, to encourage in trial. If I'm in my service to the Lord, it's become hard, and there's great spiritual warfare related to that, and I need a boost, I need instruction, then we turn to the book of Acts. We turn to the pastoral epistles, uh, First and Second Timothy, the book of Titus, and, uh, and often the Holy Spirit will just out of the blue. It won't be any assessment of our own life and thinking, I need to read something about this because this is what I'm in the middle of, but the Holy Spirit can put a book on our, light, on our mind, put a book on our mind, and He wants us to read it at this moment in time. You see, I think God wants me to read the gospel according to John or uh, the book of Philippians. I have no reason, I, I don't know why, but I can't get Philippians out of my mind. And, and then we read the entire book because he knows that's what we need immediately uh, within our lives. I have known people through the years who under this kind of specific leading and directing of the Holy Spirit where they will sit down or, or they will just sense, they, they wake up, they've all, all, always got a, a hunger for the Word of God, but they wake up and they've just, God is blessing them with this voracious hunger for the Word of God. And they will sit down, they will hold their job and whatever they're doing, but in the next uh, two weeks or four weeks or whatever it might take, they use all of their discretionary time to read through the Bible from one end to the other. And, and for whatever reason God knows of what's going on in their life, where they've been through, what's happening, what's coming next, this is what he wanted them to do. And so to view the Word of God and, and uh, having it dwell in us richly in these larger ways is, is so important. The Word of God dwells in us richly as we listen to it or listen to Bible studies that we online or that we download onto some kind of a device. Not everything about our current age and the technology of it is awful. And the, uh, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, uh, if you were, uh, wanted to hear a Bible study, you went to church and you heard somebody give a Bible study. Your access to a Bible study, uh, by and large, would be the three Bible studies that would be taught by the pastor in, in the course of a week in that congregation. Now we have access to some of the most phenomenal Bible teaching in human history, access to unbelievable riches uh, in, uh, in this, uh, this form, to be able to sow to the Spirit in our lives, allowing the, uh, the, the Word of Christ to 
to dwell in us richly. It's certainly more profitable than talk radio. And I love talk radio. I'm not putting it down. I'm not saying you can't listen to the sports channel or anything like that. But this does something entirely superior uh, within, within our lives. I am constantly listening to Bible teaching, completely independent of sermon preparation. But just from my own growing in the knowledge of the Word of God and, and uh, my own desire to understand it better, to, to deepen my uh, relationship with the Lord. The Word of God dwells in us richly by studying it personal uh, Bible study. I think it's important to say today that I think in the minds of many, many Christians, Bible study is only thought of in the context of this setting. And fewer and fewer people think of Bible study on a personal level, that we can engage in personal uh, Bible study. And personal Bible study among Christians in general has become uh, as rare as the proverbial uh, albino robin. you, You look at the statistics today and they're so discouraging, but they show that most Christians in the United States of America only read their Bible once a week. And presumably that is at the service that they attended uh, one time in the course of the week. And a huge percentage of those that uh, profess to be evangelical Christians never read the Bible at all in the course uh, on their own in their lives and in a week. And you just think to yourself, if, if it's like pulling teeth to get Christians to just simply take Bible reading seriously, how few are the Christians who actually study it, engage in personal Bible study uh, on their own? People who just determine, I don't want to uh, merely agree with my pastor's teaching on these various subjects. I want to search these truths out on my own. And, and I want to make those truths my own through my own Bible study. One of the greatest experiences related to the Word of God is to be listening to Bible teaching or in a service like this, you hear something, something clicks and the Holy Spirit gives it life and you say, I never saw that before. That is, that is massive for my, my uh, Christian life. And as exciting as that is, there's something that's even more exciting. And that is when that happens to you alone, just you at a kitchen table, a Bible, uh, maybe a concordance or some uh, study helps, and you begin to search out particular doctrines, and then these things come to light just between you and God. That's the ultimate way uh, to, to learn truth, and it comes out of this um, this personal Bible study where the person says, I want to know these various doctrines of the Bible. And I know my pastor. I know my mom. I know my dad. I know my grandparents. I know whoever, my friend, uh, knows these truths well enough to say them in their own words and turn you to the passage to show you why they believe this. But I want that for my own life. 
I want to be able to uh, make these these truths my own. I want to search them out. I want to know what verses to turn a person to when I tell them about this particular uh, truth. I don't want everything that I know to be the extension of what someone else has uh, spoken uh, to me. And sometimes personal Bible study is born out of uh, questions that occur in our lives or problems that arise in our lives. When uh, Karen and I uh, became Christians in 1980, uh, we had, uh, our first daughter was already born, she was very young and uh, very, very strong-willed. And uh, we uh, said to one another, we said, um, we should have got a puppy then. And uh, before... So, no, children are a gift from the Lord. But, they, but she was a handful, a massive handful. And because she was, one of the first things we did as a Christian is to find out what does the Bible say about raising children? Because we don't think we can make a lot of mistakes here. And what does the Bible say about disciplining, training a child? And so often it's just necessity in our life that then makes us go to the Word of God and, and, other, and, and Bible resources to discover those truths. Sometimes we can hit a point in our life where we wonder, what does the Bible have to say about spending money, or about anger, or about jealousy, or about patience, or about uh, forgiveness, or about doctrines like salvation, or sanctification, or justification, or about the rapture, or about uh, Bible uh, prophecy? And so, usually with just a little help from a study guide in our Bible or a book or a solid website, we study that subject in a deeper way uh, until it becomes our own. One of the things that happens within a church is I teach on the mornings and I teach on the Sunday nights. And, and even by virtue of this and all of the other Bible studies that go on uh, during the week, there are certain subjects that will become very important to you, like, let's say, patience or, or bitterness. It may be months before I address that on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, heading straight through the Scriptures, but your need is immediate. Your need is to know what does that say uh, right now. And so the importance of being able to study the Bible and learn it immediately in uh, in tearing into it uh, on your own. When I I first started driving from Napa to Modesto to start the church back in in, uh, 1983, I'd been a Christian for about three and a half years. So all I really knew about the Bible, I had already read through it several times. I had already uh, studied through it with, with the pastor that, of the church that I attended and also with Pastor Chuck Smith and his, his cassette tapes. And, and, and so here I am, I'm coming and I, and I knew the Word of God to, on the level that I knew the Word of God and these men would teach the Word of God and as they would teach, I would look at the verse. Yes, that's exactly what the verse says. And so I had learned the Word of God on, on that, that kind of a, uh, a level and, uh, and knew the truth on, on that kind of a level. But now, you, here you are uh, apparently going to become a pastor. 
and now in order to, to teach the Word with authority, to teach it with, uh, with a confidence, not as a scribe and getting up and saying, well, you know, Pastor Chuck Smith says this, and then Pastor Mike McIntosh says this, and then Pastor Don McClure says this, and uh, 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 Pastor Alistair Begg says this, and, and, uh, and there's no authority. We're just quoting all kinds of different people. Then uh, uh, you want to have it. Uh, you don't want to be a scribe. You want to speak the Word of God with authority. And so I had to study uh, things for myself that I hadn't studied in depth before in order to really make them my own. Uh, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts, the gift of tongues, uh, divorce and remarriage. Uh, the rapture, prophecy, uh, Jesus' parables, and, and so forth. And very early in my Christian life, I, uh, I led the evangelism team at Calvary Chapel, Napa. Well, when you're a brand new Christian and you're leading the evangelism team uh, at a church into downtown Napa and witnessing to people, you're going to get a stumped a lot. And so uh, I would share with people and then they would ask me questions and I wouldn't have the slightest idea how to answer that question. Or I would get exposed to another person's worldview that was different than a biblical one. And I would have no answer for what would the Bible say to that. And so I would go home and then... I would find out what does the Bible say to these things that stumped me so they don't stump me again. And, and so that this becomes a, a part of my own uh, Christian life and uh, a, a part of my relationship with the Lord in ministry. And to this day in my sermon preparation, I never, sermon preparation for me is never reciting uh, kind of the, the cream from my favorite three or four uh, Bible commentators. But a lot of time is spent in studying a subject all the way down to its foundation within the Bible so that when I get up in the pulpit, I can teach it with the confidence that the, uh, the congregation is getting a full-orbed view of that subject, and so that the Word of God can now, as it's being delivered, dwell in them uh, richly. Meditation is another important means by which the Word of God comes to dwell in us richly. Just taking a passage from the Bible and just mulling over it, over, rolling it over and over again in our minds and in, in our uh, hearts as a, a means of kind of digesting it uh, spiritually. And I take that verse and I say, I, how, what, how does that apply to my life? I'm going to just mull that over until I see how it applies uh, uh, to, my, uh, to my Christian life and until it becomes kind of a, a permanent settled part of my life. And I, of course, it's always likened to, uh, perfectly likened to uh, a cow uh, chewing its cud. And this is our way of chewing the spiritual cud. Uh, cows, they take and they eat a, 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 a huge amount of, of food. And then a certain percentage of it, they bring it back up to redigest. And so here we are, we can read a large section of Scripture and head through it. A great deal of food has come into our lives. 
But there's those one or two things that we go, I don't know what that means. I don't know how that applies to my life. And so it resurfaces, and now we're going to chew our spiritual cud related to that by means of meditation until that passage then becomes a part of, of our our relationship uh, with, with the Lord. Sometimes we can read something in the Bible, hear something taught, and it makes us, the Holy Spirit uh, just stops us, and, and it makes us just stop and say, and, and, and again, it gives, the Holy Spirit gives life to it in a way that we've never seen it before, and, and then and he's clearly directing our attention to it, and to say, Lord, I think you want me to learn about this verse right now, at this time in my walk, and then now to spend additional time digesting it into our relationship with the Lord. And this is one of the things that I like about uh, the daily bread devotionals. They supply us with a Bible reading through the scriptures on an annual basis. But then it takes a single verse. And it, and it provides a kind of devotional teaching re- related to it. It's simple. It's something that you can carry into the day and think about for the rest of the day. And then it closes with a question or a, a very clear application that you look at it and go, I could spend the rest of the day thinking about that in terms of, of my life. And I don't know any devotional does it better uh, than that. And they're endeavoring to accomplish this very thing in our lives through that devotional tool. And by the way, uh, we've got plenty of uh, daily bread devotionals always out in the fellowship hall, if this is new to you, to grab one, turn to the date, and start there in this part of your uh, own Christian life. Uh, Scripture memorization is a huge way of having the Word of God dwell in us richly. Again, in memorizing it, We're rolling it over and over and over between us and the Lord, seeing these verses from uh, every conceivable angle until it takes a deep place within our lives. And then obedience to the Word of God is a vital part of having the Word of God dwell in us richly. Because as we obey the Word of God, uh, as the Word of God makes that Uh, most important 18-inch drop in our lives from our head down into our hearts. As we obey the Word of God, what we know, then that Word becomes a part of the very fabric of our life. Now it is dwelling uh, in us uh, richly. And then finally, uh, notice that this kind of relationship with the Word of God, this knowledge of the Word of God, isn't just for our own individual personal profit, but it's to be there for the sake of other Christians, for the blessing of other Christians as well. You notice in the verse, Paul said, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. And as the Word of God dwells in us richly, we now possess the wisdom necessary to teach and to admonish 
one another as uh, Christians as well. And teaching speaks about instructing uh, one another, educating one another in what the Bible has to say. You're out in the fellowship or in one of the aisleways here after a service, and you start to talk to somebody, and somebody begins to talk in a way where it's clear that their understanding of something is wrong, or they're about to make a disastrous decision based upon a wrong understanding of the Word of God. And then as you're listening and all to then come in and say, but you know, the Bible really doesn't teach that. Here's what the Bible says about that. And now uh, in our interactions with one another, we're instructing one another. You notice that Paul doesn't write this letter merely to the leadership of the church, merely to the pastors of the church. This uh, word of God dwelling in us richly to the point that we can then instruct others and admonish others is something he is saying is to be true of every Christian in uh, every Christian period, no matter uh, uh, where they are. And so there is this uh, admonishing and, uh, and then, or teaching, and then he talks about uh, admonishing, uh, referring, uh, this refers to warning or rebuking or exhorting another person. And you notice that the Apostle Paul, he lists teaching first and then admonishment. You don't admonish somebody who hasn't been taught. You admonish the person who knows better and is doing it anyway. But the person who doesn't know better, they need to be instructed first. And so that's why he talks about teaching and then uh, admonishment. This instruction to admonish one another as Christians, I believe it is the single most disobeyed command uh, in an, an aspect of the Christian life in uh, American Christian uh, culture. And elsewhere the Bible says that we're to exhort one another daily, especially as we see the day of the Lord, the, the, the day the Lord's return uh, uh, approaching. And yet it's amazing how is Christians, and I don't know why it is, I know I fight it in my own life, but I don't know if it's because of uh, the conforming of the culture. I don't know if it's self-preservation where you say, I don't want to admonish. That'll put the re- relationship uh, at, at risk or a lack of courage uh, in our lives in this way. I just know that the average Christian will allow another Christian to drive their car off of the proverbial cliff and never say a word to them in terms of instruction or admonishment while they're doing that. And so again, this is something that we're to do, but the Word of God has to dwell in us richly in order to have this kind of influence in one another's, uh, one another's uh, lives. And uh, it's to be done in love, but it is to be done. So this passage, it fairly begs uh, uh, the question to each of us. And the question is this, what is the place, uh, uh, for us as Christians, what is the place of the Word of God in your life and in my life? I direct it to myself. And does the Word of God dwell in me richly? That's what it asks. 
That's what it asks of us this morning and looking at it. I won't ask for answers because I'm not interested in that. That's not my business and that's not my place. That's the Holy Spirit's uh, place. And if you sit here today and you say, you know, by the grace of God, the Word of Christ dwells in me richly, then you are on your path, on the path, to a life of uh, deep spiritual maturity and influential ministry within the body of Christ and beyond the body of Christ. And the passage is intended to encourage. But if it doesn't, if the Word of God doesn't dwell in me richly, if you looked at that and you figured out, I know where this guy is going, and you, five minutes into the sermon, you said, this isn't going to be any fun for me. And the Word of God doesn't have this place or doesn't even remotely have this place. Then why not let that change today? Because by the Holy Spirit can happen as an act of our will. And to just take this verse for a walk today or say, no, I'm not leaving this place today until I pray to the Lord and ask in His grace that this become an established part of my life. I want the Word of God to have this place that Paul describes within my life. And for some of us that you sit here today, this is all brand new. You never, this is what? And then now you know. And so moving forward to give it this kind of place. Some of you, if you know this is exactly the place the Word is supposed to have in your life, and I exhort myself as well, and you've never bothered with it yet in your Christian life. And so you're vulnerable to every false doctrine, you're vulnerable and ill-equipped for every trial, every bit of suffering, every bit of difficulty that comes into your life. You are absolutely go mute when anybody asks you what the Bible says about this or the Bible says about that, or uh, it, it, somebody uh, asks, uh, uh, you know, what, what should I do in this, this situation? And, and you look at it and... I've learned enough in 35 years of being a pastor, you never guilt people into this, and you'll never headlock them into it. You will never bludgeon them into this. It has to happen between an individual and the Holy Spirit to where a person comes to a place in their life where they say, I value my relationship with God I am becoming dependent upon my relationship with uh, God that I am going to give His Word the place in my life that He uh, desires and commands it to be. And then a person begins to do that. If I yelled at you and screamed at you and condemned you and laid the lashes, that would last to the car and you'd blow that off and say, I wonder what they're giving out free at Costco in between the aisles here. Or it's those little chili dog things or something. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It happens with us. Or to be here today and to say, that used to be a part of my life but it isn't anymore. And to take a walk with the passage today, 
And sometimes establishing the Word of God to where it has this kind of a place within our lives, sometimes there's tremendous resistance, of course, of the devil and the flesh too, to this, establishing this as a discipline within my life. But to recognize that that's not the Holy Spirit that's keeping you from doing that. It's something else. But if I will do it, the Holy Spirit will not cease to develop this Word part of our life and our relationship with the Lord until it becomes the very sweetest and most necessary part of our day. You will actually get to a place where you say, I could survive a day without anything and everything else, but I cannot survive a day without that time with Him. And the Holy Spirit will get us to that place. And if you'd like to pray with anyone after this service related to this, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front. And uh, if all of this is completely brand new to you, and I said, I never knew that this was a, a part of the Christian life. I just said the prayer and that. And come and talk with one of them about this. Or you say, no, I want to really talk this through. Make an appointment with a pastor. Say, what does this look like in my life? Would you help me with this? And they'll be glad to help you uh, with it. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the standard of your word and how everything around us just shakes and it moves and it changes and it redefines and all those things going on and all of the justifications and, and then to become to your word and to see something set in eternity, uh, truth, and hear the truth about your word and the place that it's to have in our lives. It's so refreshing. And we thank you for that, lest we be swept away by the insanity of the lies and the folly of the world all around us. And I pray for us, Lord, and we pray for one another, that you would continue the work of your Holy Spirit, whether in encouragement or conviction, until your word has this place in each one of our lives. And we ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you